Hello, and welcome to AI Wisdom, talking innovation in insurance. On this podcast, we talk to business and insure tech leaders about how artificial intelligence is transforming the way we buy and sell insurance. I'm your host, Ron Glosman, founder and CEO of Chisel AI, and a strong believer in the power of AI to help people work smart and enrich their lives. So let's get into it. I'm very pleased to have Tina Osen, President, Hub International Canada, join me today as we discuss how brokers who readily embrace market opportunities and drive innovation can leapfrog the competition while strengthening their traditional advisor status. Welcome, Tina. Thank you, Ron. Great to be here. Thank you for joining us. Before we jump into our main discussion, can you please introduce yourself? Uh, Sure. I grew up in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. I am a married mother of two and grew up in a family where my dad uh, was the owner of a successful regional entrepreneurial brokerage. So when I was growing up, our parents had told my sister and I there was this opportunity to come into the business Uh, that we had a foot in the door. And from there, we'd have to earn every opportunity. So I guess being a pretty pragmatic person decided to take the leap into the business and had uh, the opportunity to work both in the family business. And then we sold to Hub in 1999. I ran the Greater Vancouver operations uh, for about 13 years. And then in 2017, stepped into the role as president of Hub's Canadian operations. That's an awesome journey. And I guess It'd be fair to say you're a lifelong insurance uh, insurance-er, if I can put it that it, way. It would absolutely be fair to say that. Awesome. So, you know, I guess you told us a little bit about your path, but what what attracted you to it? Because I'm, sure, you know, I know you're very smart. I'm sure you could have been a lawyer or a doctor or whatever you you were passionate about. You could have pursued and gone down that path. So aside from sort of that opening in the door and and still having to work for it, was there something else that attracted you to the profession? You know, I think um, having the privilege of you know, having this father that was in the business and and somebody who was very communicative and we always had family dinner and uh, he always shared with us what was going on in the business and talked to us about different things. I think really the attraction was just seeing how much my father enjoyed the business. And so, you know, if it derived that much pleasure for him, why wouldn't I give it a try? And I think Going one step further, you know, it is a business that constantly provides opportunity for growth and learning. It's not a stagnant industry. There's changing risks, changing exposures. So that ability to consistently kind of learn and challenge yourself. And then, you know, also, I think the other thing that was really attractive to me is everybody needs insurance. I, you know, I remember seeing a presentation when I first started out in the industry where the the speaker was a guy named Bob Vickerstaff, who was very senior in the Vancouver business uh, community from an insurance perspective. And he said, you know, planes don't move, trains don't move, cars don't move if you don't have insurance. And by virtue of that, you have this opportunity to intersect and connect with everybody, which gives you sort of this broad um, 
kind of connection and ability to uh, learn so much about so much business and so much industry. That's amazing. And I love that mindset. I think I think you said Bob, he, he hit the nail on the head there. Insurance is, aside from death and taxes, probably the only third thing that you can be certain of. Absolutely. So I'm curious, if you put yourself back in, in you know your younger shoes, when you first started in the industry, you probably thought some things were going to be a certain way. What ended up being harder than you expected? Yes, I think maybe two things come to mind here. And, and I'm sure, of course, there were many things that were challenging in terms of just learning and understanding the technical aspects. But Probably the two things that resonate, you know, many years later is one, very simply being the daughter of the president, you know, wasn't always easy. And I quickly decided after I joined the family brokerage that I needed to go somewhere else and garner experience before I returned to the family business. I really wanted to be able to demonstrate to other colleagues in the office that I that I knew something and I could contribute. And I think the other thing really... I don't know why, I guess just naivety that I that I did not appreciate. When I started into the brokerage uh, for the second time, when I came back, I went into commercial sales and I really have a passion for sales uh, to this day. And I think I underestimated, you know, just the consistent and constant effort you have to do to build a pipeline of customers or prospects and really you know, this notion that sales is a marathon, it's not a sprint, and that really, really successful salespeople have spent years building relationships that, you know, come to fruition over time. And at some point, you really get to a point where you hit stride and you're winning business. But that is not something that just happens. It is, it is about the work, not just in the nine to five, but in the five to nine to really build those connections and relationships. That's such a good way to put it. It's not just about the nine to five. It's also about the nine to five. Did you come up with that yourself? I don't, I don't think so, but somewhere I probably heard it and it stuck. It's very good. So I'm curious, as the largest broker in Canada, what do you think makes Hub International different from all the rest? I think maybe I'd answer that in a slightly different way, only because, you know, I don't sit in the shoes of our competitors. But I think there are a few things that from my lens really stand out for Hub and why I think we've been successful. So, you know, we grow by acquisition and we grow by organic growth. And when we do these acquisitions, we manage to keep about 98% of key brokerage leadership for years after they join our firm. And I really think that's because we deliver on this holistic value proposition for our clients um, that really is market leading in terms of the resources, talents, capabilities we bring to bear. But I also think it's because we've managed to figure out that secret sauce in terms of finding opportunities for people to have second and third careers with Hub that are different than owning their own brokerages, but still incredibly meaningful where they can contribute to Hub in a significant way. 
And I think we have a proven track record over sort of these 22 years that we've been around. So when I say that, I really mean, you know, we, we drive results, but we have a proven track record in terms of our talent. And, and all of this is around the notion of doing what we say we're going to do and really delivering on our commitments. And I think we have kind of a healthy dose of humility. We don't sit on our laurels. We never think we're good enough. We're consistently looking at how we improve our customer value proposition, our talent brand for our employees, our relationship with our carrier partnerships uh, or with our carriers, sorry. And so because of all of that, I think just sort of that commitment to improvement and excellence has really helped sort of fuel our success. That's a great characterization, and I think it's a great perspective on how to, to operate as a business. And so I want to ask you, what is one thing that everybody in the commercial insurance space should start doing today when it comes to the buying process and, and better serving the policyholders looking to buy? I think as an industry and and, and COVID has helped this and it's accelerating this, but I think our digital aspirations need to be a lot bolder. So business can take significant steps forward in growth when you commit to a strategy. And we've been in an industry that has been good to so many of us. Like we're comfortable with a year where we deliver solid single or low double digit growth. And we think that's awesome. But I believe that if we set these bold aspirations for our digital strategies, that we can really see tremendous results here. And I also think whilst important, because we can get gains in efficiency and cut cost, we really need to look at digital as an enabler to generate new revenue that will drive numbers that are significantly stronger than we're currently driving as an industry. So it's interesting because you you touched on something that I wanted to dedicate a couple questions to, but one of the the main questions is around COVID. You touched on there, and what are some of the other factors that you're seeing when it comes to what has impacted the industry? And then, secondly, and maybe more interestingly, how would you rate the industry as a whole? as responding to the pandemic? There's probably a couple of answers I have there. So first of all, we've been in this hard market, which has really impacted the commercial insurance sector. And that ability to garner capacity on some risks has been challenging for brokers as a whole, to say the least. And I think the industry has to do more work around having really solid data and analytics that help us identify problem areas in accounts or particular segments and allow us to make some of those actuarial determinations about what actions can lend to healthy portfolios that aren't necessarily broad brush approaches across blocks of business, but more specific to a given risk. I think from a sort of what's coming at us, climate risk is a massive problem for the commercial sector, for the personal sector uh, too. And the industry is doing some really good work with organizations like ICLR, which is the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction, and the work that Dr. Blair Feltmate, who's head of the Intact Center on Climate Adaptation, and, and bringing industry stakeholders together in a Wetland Canada coalition to restore wetlands. 
all these initiatives are necessary and we need to step up as an industry to partner with local, provincial and federal governments to help lend solutions to some of these really real climate change issues that, you know, if we don't proactively start to solution around, you know, we think COVID is difficult. Climate risk is going to be significantly more challenging for the industry. You know, and I think maybe the last thing I'd say is cyber is also a massive challenge for the industry commercially. And it's only going to get more complex with digital opening up these new pools of risk. So, you know, I say we need to be a lot bolder on our digital strategies as we're a lot bolder on that. That presents uh, new challenges for us. And, you know, not really a matter of if, but when, and and that's going to be problems for policyholders and for businesses as well. So, you know, I think all of those things are, are, are big impact areas on the commercial insurance sector. You know, how is the industry doing? Mm, I think not as well as we could be doing. I think we have to get a lot more focused on industry solutions around some of the climate pieces. Certainly from a data and analytics perspective, there's a ton of work to do there. And then from a cyber perspective, how do we get into some of that pre-loss mitigation work? For sure. That's such important work. And it's something that I think we'll see continuing in the future. And I think one of the things that we've seen and I've heard in the past is the pandemic in some sense was like an accelerator, things that would have been, say, five or 10 years out, but the number isn't too relevant, have happened in a much shorter period of time than expected. And a lot of that was driven out of necessity and also out of um, you know maybe regulatory change and some other things that helped it along. What do you think going forward over the next three years are some of the trends that have begun and are going to continue outside of the ones we just talked about? Yeah, probably a couple of things come to mind. So one, you know, as we look to digitization of this commercial space, particularly probably in that micro to small business area, I think you're going to see the industry engaged in more strategic partnerships between brokers and insurtech, carriers and insurtech for that matter, to create vehicles to deliver, you know, a digital experience across multiple platforms to our customers. So, you know, some may buy, some may build, but I think the rent model is going to be the most prevalent and quite frankly, leave the tech to those who do the tech and 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 leave the sale of insurance to those who do the sale of insurance. So I think we're going to see a lot more of those strategic partnerships. I absolutely think we're going to see an acceleration of the utilization of AI, particularly around the automation of processes like claims, underwriting, policy, admin and sales, you know, sort of that notion of intelligent automation to serve customers uh, and brokers better. And, you know, piggybacking onto that AI, using that AI to support that customer experience. So helping make those data-driven recommendations to consumers. How do we create those education moments for our customers that are positive and make them feel like we get them and understand what might be relevant to them? So I think that's some of the real drive that we're going to see in terms of trends that will enable us to have that better 
touch experience with our customers if we utilize that technology in the right way. That's right. And I think that partnership and that question of build versus buy and sometimes build versus buy versus partner is going to be an interesting and we're going to see the dynamics play out. And I'm so happy to hear that you also mentioned AI is one of the things because obviously that's near and dear to our hearts here at Chisel. So we're going to take a quick 20-second break to tell you where you can find more information and insights about insurance innovation. We'll be right back. If you like this episode of AI Wisdom, subscribe to our blog, Writing the Future, AI and Commercial Insurance at www.chisel.ai forward slash blog for feature articles, interviews, opinions, and more. We're back with our featured guest, Tina Osen. Let's jump right into the next question. As the Canadian commercial insurance landscape continues to be impacted by the hard market, what can brokers do to better address higher premium prices and contracting capacity for the hardest hit commercial lines? While rate increases have exceeded 30% in lines such as construction, financial lines, professional indemnity lines for all sizes of accounts. Yeah, Ron, I I think the industry has more work to do around having really solid data and analytics that tie back to the claims data, the risk accumulations, all of those data points that help you identify problem areas and accounts or particular segments. And, you know, I referenced in the earlier part of our talk about, you know, being able to make those actuarial determinations about what actions can lend to healthy portfolios that aren't those broad brush approaches. And so, you know, using that to really do a lot more work around proactive risk management. So, you know, how do we take that data and then identify those trouble spots and then partner with our risk management uh, teams to mitigate that risk before it happens to help make our customers um, healthier risks and provide them with that knowledge and the strategy so that their business becomes more attractive. I I think that that is going to become critical because we're going to have to be able to establish why a carrier should take their bet on a certain business, even if the class as a whole is not performing as strongly for the carrier. How do you differentiate yourself from the pack, so to speak? That's right. How how do you differentiate yourself from the pack? And I think oftentimes there there are at least externally for the consumer or the policyholder, they they don't see too much of a difference as far as brokers, especially the ones who might be first time buyers and not as familiar with the different players. Oftentimes, insurance is sort of seen as a commodity, and so being able to differentiate and really be you know ahead above everybody else is going to bring you not only more clients, but it's also going to help you retain the clients that you have. Because I've had many people tell me that, you know, it's great to be growing your business at the top line. But if you have churn, i.e. people leaving and not renewing, that can be, especially if it's larger than the positive net gain at the top, that can kill a business. And so being able to really differentiate yourself in whatever way you can is going to be such a key um, advantage for anybody who can deliver on that process. 
Let's talk a little bit about cyber insurance, because obviously we're living in a digital world and it's only becoming more and more digital, especially with work from home. Most people were spending most of their time and waking hours at home on the computer. So nobody can argue that digital world isn't here. But oftentimes we see that there are large ransomware attacks. And we've, we we heard about one even like recently, two or three days ago in the news, but there have been some ransom attacks that have even been targeted at carriers themselves. And so with the recent rise in all of these ransomware claims, all of these ransomware attacks, how have you seen capacity be affected when it comes to cyber coverage? And then what can you do as a broker working with a carrier to ensure that policyholders are well informed and protected from cyber thieves because obviously the best way to prevent the claim is to never have it in the first place. Right. Well, you're bang on. We're definitely seeing uh, capacity tighten in the cyber world. You know, ten million dollar limits are often being cut back to five million and even lower limits and. Uh, we're seeing those carriers starting to restrict further and loss ratios are at over, you know, 400% as of the end of Q4 2020. So this is definitely an area that is not driving uh, profitable results for the industry right now. So insurers are deploying a bunch of underwriting measures to try and get control of these loss ratios, anything from premium increases to deductible increases, uh, significant coverage restrictions, limiting capacity, scrutinizing each risk, and ensuring really sort of what they would view as best in class. So I think as an industry, we can serve a bit of a dual role here. So Uh, We can not only place the coverage for our clients, but we have to provide them with that advisory piece, you know, facilitating those discussions between the cyber incident response professionals, the insurers and our clients. And education is key because our clients need to better prepare themselves for network security, privacy, liability events. And they really need to understand as insureds what some of those touchstone security measures are that underwriters will want to see when underwriting a risk, such as uh, implementing multi-factor authentication um, uh, things within their system, you know, employing endpoint detection tools, regular employee training Uh, around all things to protect the organization from breaches and conducting sort of periodic tabletop exercises. So so we we have a responsibility as an industry right now uh, to really educate our clients on all things they can do to help uh, protect their businesses from those exposures. Amazing. I love that. And obviously, it's also something that um, is only going to be more and more important to people to have this coverage. And at the same time, it's great to hear that you're providing that support and education because at the end of the day, most attacks are not due to bad system design, but usually due to just poor pa- like poor password choice, uh, opening unsafe emails, phishing emails, like things like that are very, very dangerous. And education can v- very simply prevent them. And then, of course, there's obviously the network security piece, which is a much more technical piece, uh, but equally as important. 
One thing that a lot of companies struggle with is embracing innovation because change can be scary and change can be very challenging. What have you seen and what are your recommendations to help people who are struggling with change and implementing new technologies and business models? As you know, the head, as the president of Hub, you have the ability to influence a lot of these decisions, but oftentimes people lower down in the chain might feel scared or you know they don't if things go bad they don't want to be reprimanded what would you say to those people what are your recommendations yeah so boy i, I totally agree with you here i think organizational change is really really hard um and in an environment right now where the necessity to be agile and adapt to change is so rapid fire i think there's some really imperative steps to ensure success. So first, I think it's really important that you clearly articulate the vision and where you want to be, why you want to be there, and how you're going to get there. And change management has to move fast these days. So you have to be agile and ready to pivot. So I think it's really important to have those short-term goals truly sort of inspecting what you expect and making sure that you're moving things forward, but breaking down big projects into smaller, more achievable steps so people can taste that success, have that feeling of accomplishment, not make the project seem so daunting because you have these, uh, you know, steps to the greater goal. I think probably one of the hardest things when you're doing big change management projects is you have to put your best people that are influencers in the organization on these change management projects. And that can be hard to execute because those are the folks that are having such an impact in sort of the day to day. But those are the individuals that can identify the business problems that are going to arise you know, that have that influence through the organization and uh, really uh, can create change in a way that anticipates some of the challenges that will come at you. I think change management requires really strong project management and a change management resource to make sure that all of the communications, training, education is in play. Like communication, I cannot underscore that one enough. Every time when we have failed on change management projects, it's usually tied to two things, poor communication or poor training and education attached to whatever it is we're doing. And then I would say maybe, you know, last comment would be testing and learning, I think is really key. So I'm a big believer in bite-sized pieces, you know, fail fast, iterate, try again, prove it out, then expand. So you garner that success, the momentum, energy to move it to the next level. And I know I said it before, but like over and over again, we have this expression, inspect what you expect. You can't let your eye off the ball. You need to measure it. You need to make sure the behavior is happening. You have so many good one-liners. Inspect what you expect. I love it. I, so, I didn't I didn't coin that either. I'm just really good at taking other people's expressions. <laughs> that's the best that's the most important skill of storytelling is finding 
a way for people to relate. So I think that's okay. You don't have to coin it. It's a good skill. And so how do you feel and, and how do you think, you know, you talked a little bit about AI and uh, AI is very cool, obviously, like that's our area of expertise, but there's many other cool things that are happening in the industry. So there's chatbots, wearable devices, IoT devices, and a whole slew of technologies that are going to impact the Canadian insurance industry and even globally. So what do you view as sort of the five to 10 year space where will we be five to ten years from now and what do you see the changes or the impact that it will have when it comes to the future workforce i think ron this is in some ways a kind of a short answer for for me from the perspective that i really think all of those things you listed whether it's chatbots or wearables or the ai are all things that we can use to support those data-driven decisions and can help us in that speed in which we interact with our customers, help us reduce that cost to transact. And all of that supports us being able to bring to market new products and solutions quicker at lower costs. And so, you know, some of it will work and some of it won't, but I think ultimately, you know, over the next five to 10 years, I don't see it as something that impacts the workforce in a negative way. I see those as all complementary solutions to make our workforce be much more effective at creating a really amazing customer service experience for our customers. That's right. I agree. I, I don't think you know people should be worried. I don't think there's gonna be like a, a shortage of work in the insurance industry i think everybody can agree that there's probably too much work in the industry right now i know a lot of really hard working brokers who work crazy hours and you know i would wish they work a little bit less just for them so um i i totally agree i don't think that this is something people should be worried about what do you see as the top five factors that brokers should consider when when partnering with InsurTechs and other technology vendors, you touched on that a little bit earlier. Let's dive into it. What are the five things that are going to be most important in the success of a project and choosing the right partner? Sure. And I, I'm kind of chuckling because you I'll probably give this list and then you'll tell me what I missed on the list. But um, so first, I think you need to test assumptions when you're partnering with your insure tech. So ask the tough questions. What happens if? Have you thought about? So really digging in to understand how things work and challenging the things that don't feel comfortable. So putting it another way, really looking at the scope of the project, the functionality, does it serve you? Does it serve your customers, your employees? Is it going to do what you want it to do? And then secondly, you know, what's the back end of the insure tech? What does that company look like? If the principal walks away, is the business model sustainable? Do they have the financial wherewithal to support the business model and scale up while still controlling the costs? You know, can, can they grow with you? I would say look at the cybersecurity elements of the insure tech. What are their controls? How are they protecting your data? Are they engaged with other third-party providers and what are those controls? So you want to make sure that when you partner with somebody, 
you're not making yourself uh, further vulnerable to attack or uh, some sort of cybersecurity breach. Uh, I would probably say from a fourth perspective, make sure you're de developing metrics or KPIs that you want to achieve mutually and that you have a way to measure and make sure that you're tracking that progress. And probably because I think it's always important to have a, a mutual exit clause, you know, predetermine or establish an agreement on how you exit if things don't work out, you know, who, who owns the clients, what's the notice period, all of these sort of things. Those, those would be some of the things that would be, you know, important to me when we're looking at different technology vendors. I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I don't have... I mean, you, we said five. Obviously, if, if we said infinite, I'd have more to add. But no, Tina, I think uh, those are definitely the right five. If I had to, to do five, I'd do the exact same ones. So looking a bit further out, how do you see the role of brokers changing when it comes to, let's say, 10 years out, just to be a little bit you know, more of a drastic difference? Yeah, it, it probably ties in a little bit to our earlier comments. You know, I believe with AI helping to support us or or any other uh, technology that comes to bear, I think we just become more proactive in terms of providing advice to customers. So it it I think the world looks like one where we drive quicker decision making. We're more consultative to our customers because we're more tech enabled and we can enhance that experience the customer has with us. So, you know, we engage in a more real time basis. We recognize key life events for them and hopefully offer tremendous counsel around some of those pivotal moments and certainly embrace more you know, user pay type situations. So I, I think it is maybe in transactional, uh, you know, how do we use the technology to enable and support uh, some of those key events that happen and have them, you know, interact with us in a way that they want to interact with us when they want to interact with us. And then in some of the larger business balancing the support of the AI to really become true sort of advice givers and true sort of proactive partners with our customers to help them mitigate risk and solve problems in advance of problems really coming to bear. That would be amazing. I, I, I don't know exactly how much prediction We'll be able to do obviously something if we could predict a car accident before it happened. Uh, I think everybody would be a lot happier. But I certainly echo that sentiment. So I'm curious as as we wrap up, who's a business leader in any industry? Doesn't have to be insurance. Who you admire most? You know, this is a tough question for me because there's lots of leaders and lots of big global names that you know would come to mind, but. I think I'm going to tell you that a, a name of a leader that won't mean a lot to many people unless you're based in the greater Vancouver area, but there's a very successful businessman in Vancouver. His name is Joe Siegel. He built a real estate dynasty. He self-made himself. And 
was a customer, still is a customer of Hubs, has been for many, many years. And I would consider him someone who has had an impact on me for three reasons. So first, uh, Joe Siegel always said to me, there has to be a win-win in it for everyone. And I've tried to prescribe to that in my career because I really think that that that's such a great way to approach negotiations, partnership, uh, relationships with employees, everything. You know, how does everybody feel like they're getting a win out of it? Secondly, he always felt that part of being successful was then turning around and giving back to the community at large. Uh, I don't think I know anyone who has had more of an impact sort of in charitable giving, uh, both in the province of British Columbia and, and, and across the country and, and also global, globally. And lastly, he always reminded me that if you aren't having fun, then you shouldn't be doing it. So I think those three things really have stuck with me in my career and you know, they're not complicated, but they're just really good sort of rules to approach how you approach, or at least in my case, uh, really great rules for me to follow to have a rewarding career and uh, re rewarding relationships with people. Joe sounds amazing. And I, I love that you chose someone local and that you chose somebody who people haven't heard of because his character you can just you can just tell like what type of character he is from that short story and uh i'd love to meet you like he sounds amazing <laughs> so as we wrap up what's one piece of innovation wisdom that you would give to our listeners hmm. be curious don't think you have all the answers challenge the status quo. I guess this isn't one piece, but I'm just <laughs> going to give you a little ramble here. I think be open to where there might be other ways to do things and, and don't fall into that trap of just because we do it a certain way doesn't mean we need to keep doing it that way. I think that's what I would say about innovation. Amazing. Short and sweet. So Tina, where can people find out more about you and Hub? Uh, you can find out more about us. Our website is www.hubinternational.com or I am at tina.osen at hubinternational.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, if you'd like to find out more about the latest and greatest in insurance innovation, please check out www.chisel.ai and feel free to connect with me at Ron Glossman on Twitter or Ron Glossman on LinkedIn. Thank you. That's a wrap for AI Wisdom, talking innovation and insurance hosted by Chisel AI and me, Ron Glossman. Thanks for listening. If you like our podcast and want to hear more, check us out at www.chisel.ai or tune in and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Join us next time for more expert insights and straight talk on how AI and insurtech innovation are transforming the insurance value chain. See you on the next episode.